Praise the Lord. All right, we're going to continue with our study on Revelation 12, dealing with the casting out of Satan from heaven. So we are going to be dealing with verse 10 in particular today, but let's look at Revelation 12. Again, we we'll read verse 7, and we move to verse number 10. And there was one in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought on his angels. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come. Salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Praise the Lord. These are the issues we want to examine tonight. I would like us to deal with this uh, verse 10, picking out those major emphasis on this song of victory, like I said before, which has to do with salvation, strength, kingdom, power of our Christ. Amen. So the first thing we look at there is now is come salvation. Hallelujah. What is this salvation that we're talking about here? Now is come salvation. What really means is now is come complete deliverance from the power of Satan, his deceptions. Remember, Talking about the deception of Satan, the accusation of Satan. Remember what we described in the last section about what the world Satan and devil stands for. The old serpent, the devil, Satan, then the dragon. Remember that? We tried to explain that last week. So we're looking at a situation where this song is going forth by those who have been able to overcome the deception of Satan in all realms. And now he's come, complete deliverance from the power of Satan. How many of you remember what the power of Satan is? It's blindness. According to R26, 17 to 18. The deception of Satan or the power of Satan is ignorance. It keeps you blinded that you may not see the truth which is in Christ, the very expert image and glory of God that the Bible keeps making us to understand. The God of this world blinded the heart of them lest the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ you shine upon them. Is that right? That is the power of Satan. It's the power of deception that makes it difficult for people not to see and comprehend the very revelation of the manifestation of Christ in such people that should be able to come to believe what Christ is all about. Hallelujah. So these people are saying we've come to the place of complete deliverance from the deception of Satan. By implication, we've gotten our freedom. And as it were, it's like saying now truth is prevailing. Amen? Because when you get out of ignorance, light breaks forth. Hallelujah. Salvation here, the word in the Greek actually stands for that which is fully, that which is finally, that which is victoriously accomplished. 
That is the sense they're going to world salvation is used here. It's a complete victorious achievement. By implication, we are saying Jesus has gotten the total victory that needs to be gotten even on our behalf. Amen? We have complete salvation in who? In Christ. In fact, Colossians say you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. You are complete in him. So we're talking about complete salvation and you can only find that in Christ. So this song of deliverance is emphasizing the victory that we have got in you in Christ. Hallelujah. Above all, we do know that Christ is actually our salvation. How many of you understand it? Good. Now is come salvation. In other words, what was ruling our life is no longer there. A different force of power is now there to do what? To rule our lives. And that is Christ himself. Now is come salvation. And Christ is our salvation. Hallelujah. So here we find that this victorious church is declaring in his song of redemption, the appearing of the Christ, of truth in our lives. Remember, the scripture says, Moses gave the law, but Jesus came through Grace and truth, or brought to us grace and truth, delivered to us grace and truth. Is that okay? Truth is completely different from facts. Is that okay? We're talking about reality. When you come to truth, there is nothing else that you can alter it. You can research it, it's absolute. Jesus came, grace and truth, absolute. And if Jesus is our salvation, so we are talking of absolute salvation. Nothing can be added, neither can anything be subtracted from it. What you got is absolute. Hallelujah. Now is come salvation. And the next thing we'll find there is, now is come, when you say now is come salvation and what? And strength. That is now is the mighty power of God manifested in casting down and subduing the great enemy of the church. The strength of Christ in destroying or demolishing the opposing power that was opposing the move of God as at that time in the Roman Empire. And in your life, as at when the prince of the power of the air was in charge of your life. Here comes salvation, and through the strength of his salvation, that ruling power was taken away from your heart. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, the strength that has come is not just only to take away that which was opposing the truth in our life, but I was standing in the place of the truth in our life, it also has come that we should have the same strength to do what he has commanded us to do. Such like we find in the book of Luke chapter 10. Remember the story in Luke chapter 10 when the disciples went out? Is that okay? And they came back. And what is the next thing? They said, even the devils were subject unto us. Is that Okay. They could do that by reason of the strength of the Christ that they exercise. It is the authority of the Christ, which is what we refer to, or what we can call a delegated authority, which is exousia. Authority given to you to do something. Okay, let me explain this. You see, if you're driving, for instance, and you get to, even before you get to a checkpoint, and you see the policeman or uniform. If he just raises his hand, the next thing you are going to do, you, you're going to tap your brakes. Is that okay? 
He has not even said anything. Merely lifting up his hand, you tap your brake. What you are actually recognizing is not just the policeman, but the government. Because the police represent the government. By implication, the, police is stand, the policeman is standing on the authority of the government. Are you getting that? Good. You know, some of you may not have heard, but for instance, we know that a military man died in Lagos a few days ago, and because of that, man, police came from the barrack, burned down a lot of BRT buses in Lagos. Right? Because that man was on uniform, they feel he was a special person, as it were. He represented the government. It's like you taught your authority. I don't know if you're catching this. Good. Now think about that. The scripture says, put it on the Lord Jesus. By implication, there is something you also put on that qualifies you to exhibit an authority that ordinarily you as a human being cannot exhibit. Now is come the strength of our Christ. So when you say, put it on the Lord Jesus, it's like you are putting on a heavenly uniform that even the enemy recognizes. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That is why, you see, I, I repeat again, you just walk through the street and you see a policeman, even at the T-junction, he just lifts up his hand without saying a word, the whole car that are coming will stop, no movement. That's an authority. Delegated authority. So put here on the Lord Jesus, like saying, put on the new man that God has brought to us in Christ and exercise the strength that is contained in that authority that you have received. And unfortunately, there are so many believers who do not have understanding or recognize who they are today. Hallelujah. Now is come the strength of our Christ. And that is why you see, God, we have to help this church. Praise the Lord. You see, when, when in Luke 10, when he came back to say the devil will subject unto us, you know, what is, you know what Jesus said? Rejoice not in the Father that the devil is subject unto you, but also that your name is written in heaven. So what it means to say is, you could do what you did because you are not heavenly citizens. Do you understand that? You exercise your authority because you are operating from another realm which is heavenly. That is why the devil was subject to you. You carry a higher authority as compared to the one that the devil carried. You are no longer who you used to be before you belonged to me or you came to me. Now you put in on a different uniform, you can speak on my behalf and the realm of creation will obey you. Come on, is anybody following this? So don't just rejoice that the devils are running away or you're casting out the devils, but rejoice because now your name is written where? In heaven. So it's like saying, that's a sign for you to know where your citizenship is right now. Because you see, when name are written, it's like saying a census is taken. Are you there? So your name written in heaven is like a census is taken and you're inclusive of those people who were counted as heavenly citizens. And now you are operating on the ground of you being a heavenly citizen. So when he says, now it's called salvation and the strength of the Christ. What is that supposed to mean? We who have come to believe, who have come to receive the Christ, now put on a new citizenship and we have a new ID card, if you will. That is even recognized by the devil. The authority with which you live your life or operate is no longer yours. It's a delegated authority given to you by who? By Christ. Now it's come. It's like saying what we could not do before, now we can do. Hallelujah. Instead of being messed up by the devil, now you can mess the devil up. Your ways now carry power. Your spirit man is redeemed eternally. You know it that you are a new creature. 
You know it that you are a heavenly citizen. You know it that you are born again into another family of the household of faith. You know it. So no more deception, no more accusation from whatever you call the devil. Praise the Lord. The next thing you see there is when they say now it's come, salvation and the strength, the next thing is and what? The kingdom of our God. Can you see it there? Now it's come salvation and the strength and the kingdom of our God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> like I said, you can't be saying this, that the kingdom of our God is come, and you're thinking of what took place somewhere up in heaven some years back. The kingdom of God was not established up in the sky, in a geographical location called heaven. Are you there with me? Jesus said in Matthew 10, when you pray, I mean 6, when you pray, say this, our Father which art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Is that not what he said? Now when he said that, he hasn't gone to the cross. You remember that? Good. But now this is after the cross. And the song is saying, now is come, what? The kingdom of our God. The one we were asked to pray for have finally come. Are you getting that now? So when he said pray that kingdom come, it was like saying, you keep praying this now until I go to the cross. But after the cross, the kingdom truly came. Because it came right from when the Holy Spirit was poured out. That was an inauguration of God's kingdom. It was a feast to celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom. So the song here is saying, now it's come. The kingdom of our God. Another one saying it, we were always in another kingdom, but now it's come the kingdom of our God. So it's like saying, we have moved from one kingdom to another kingdom. Amen? So yeah, we're saying, and you should understand what it means when you say the kingdom of God is come. It's another way of saying, now is the reign of our God being established among men. Because we know you can't talk about a kingdom without talking about the king. Is that okay? So when you say now is called the kingdom of our God, it's another way of saying now we know that our God is now reigning. As compared to the spirit that was reigning in the hearts of men. Hallelujah. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28? You look at from verse 1 down, you know the story? How Jesus cast out a demon from someone. They came and said, well, he's using the spirit of Beelzebub. Okay? And Jesus said, if the devil fight against himself, that house cannot stand. But if I cast out demons... By the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. That means the Spirit carries the kingdom of God. Is that all right? It means the devil could be in the heart of man, but when the finger of God, which is the kingdom of God, comes through, the devil is dislodged from wherever he was occupying. So when we say now is come the kingdom of our God, it's another way of saying now we know that God is ruling and reigning. Can I hear an amen? And if God is ruling and reigning, we do know. It simply shows that we are the subject of that king. Because he's a king and he's got a kingdom and he has to have subjects. And we are the subject of the kingdom. And because we are the subject of the kingdom, we are also empowered to manifest the power of the kingdom because we are his representative. 
I used to do. Praise the living God. So, the kingdom of God is not a tomorrow affair. The song is saying, now is come, not tomorrow. It's not going to come to establish a kingdom in what you call the millennial reign. That is theological, I mean, I don't know how to put it, religious thoughts. have nothing to do with God's word. Maybe I'll find time to explain that one more time to you. One thousand years. And you know how the picture goes? The devil will be bound one thousand years, then he'll be loose. After that, and it comes again. Huh? Now, if we know that the strength of the devil is deception. So, what binds the devil? Truth. Isn't it? You say a strong man will, I mean, a stronger man will come and bind the man and spoil his goods. Isn't it? What binds the devil? Truth. Once truth is revealed, the power of the enemy is gone. Hallelujah. Are you catching this? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So how, in the first place, how is the devil loosed? The devil is loose when you get back into religion, when you get back into deception, when you allow other thoughts to take the place of the truth of God's word in your life. The devil is let loose. So religion that teaches things contrary to the truth of God's word are the people losing the devil. So there's a binding and losing, a binding and a losing, a binding and a losing. It's a continuous process because men are always there to undo, if I may use the word, the truth of God's word. Martin Luther came with a simple revelation. The judge shall live by faith and knock down everything that Roman Catholic was carrying on. That will come rightly term to me the beginning of the revolution with apostolic doctrine. The just shall live by faith. But you know, in the midst of all that, we still had how many years of blindness that came to the church. The church finally left the truth again, went back to deception, went back to religion, went back to doing those things that even Mighty Luther was speaking against and seems to have delivered people from. We have more religious organizations going on today as compared to the truth of God's word being proclaimed, even in the church. So the devil has been let loose when error comes into the church. So there's a binding and a losing. Are you still there? Look at what Jesus said. The truth shall set you free. It is truth that sets men free. Free from what? Free from bondage. Huh? The Jews were saying that in John chapter 8, we're not born of fornication. We are not slaves to anybody. <laughs> and Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. In other words, you are in bondage, but you don't know. But you need to be set free. So what set you free? Truth. Can you get that? So yeah, we said the power of his kingdom has come. This refers to the Ultimate triumph of his cause in the world, resulting from the dislodging of Satan from the hearts of men, as we saw in Ephesians 2 1 to 2. Remember that? Good. When he talks about you were then the sin and trespasses in time past. Is that okay? Okay. And walk after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walketh now in the children of disobedience. That's what it stands for. So when Jesus came and his kingdom is established in our heart, what's the next thing that happens? The very spirit that was causing disobedience in our heart is what? It is lodged. And God is established. His rule is established in our spirit. Now we walk by the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's just a replacement of one spirit. Once the spirit goes up, another spirit comes in, you step into another kingdom. You don't have to die to get into that. You were not dead when you were living in one kingdom. Whoever rules you is your king. So if there was a spirit of disobedience in your heart at a point in time, that was your king. So what we say now, here comes another king to rule and reign in your heart. After the first one, it dislodged. Hallelujah. The next thing we find there is and the power of his Christ. Hallelujah. 
nice comes salvation and the strength and the kingdom and the power of his Christ. Praise me this Christ. It's another way of saying he's anointed. Christ simply speaks for anointing. Messiah, anointed one. That is the kingdom of Christ as the Messiah. Here is come the power of his Christ. He's anointed. That is the kingdom of Christ as what? The Messiah. You must understand the thread of the word Messiah as used in scriptures. It's basically because the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come to deliver them. Basically from their enemies and it is contents from the Roman government that was in power as at when Jesus was born. Is that alright? Hallelujah. So there was a kingdom that was in place before this kingdom came in. But this kingdom is not kind of physical like what people can see. For the kingdom of God coming out with observation. Not I would they say low there or hold there, but the kingdom of God is within you, all around you. So you are talking about the kingdom of the Messiah being made manifest. And it's not a tomorrow affair. That's why I'm saying everything that took place had nothing to do with past some years back before Jesus came or something that's going to come tomorrow. It's a now thing, right from when Jesus went to the cross, resurrected, or out the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of the Messiah was made manifest. Is that alright? Praise the living God. So we're talking about when he says, and the power of his Christ, as he's come, the power of his Christ, that is the anointed one, as anointed set apart to rule over the world. You know, in Revelation 11, the Bible says, the kingdom of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Remember that? The kingdom of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. In other words, the Lord Christ himself is taking over the rulership of the world. Let me, let me say something here. It may be difficult for you to apprehend or comprehend if Christ is really ruling. In the sense that what you see naturally all of this happening all over the place. You may wonder where is Christ. But you may not know how many people are getting converted on a daily basis and believing into Christ. You may not know. Are you still there? Hitler was so powerful in Germany ruling the world. I can tell you that what Hitler did is not up to one third of what Christ is doing today. Christ is conquering more people than Hitler did. He's conquering more nations than Hitler ever did. But it's not something that in the news. Hallelujah. He is conquering men every day. And his rule is forevermore. Hallelujah. So when he says, Now he's come, the power of his Christ. Let me, let me read a scripture so that you can understand something. 2 Corinthians 1, let's look at verse 21. Book of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. Praise the Lord. It says, Now, we have what it takes to live the life. Hallelujah. Let me, let me pick it up from here. Okay. Now he which established us with you in Christ and had anointed us is God. Hallelujah. Let's take this from the message. Let me see. Praise the Lord. Anointed us. 
In other words, he was in Christos is God himself. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in who? In Christ. Putting his yes within us. He affirmed us. Hallelujah. What that means is, we have what it takes to live the life and do just his will and his works. In other words, we do not only do his will, we also do his works. Look at what the Bible says. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And he went about doing what? Doing good. So the anointing is not meant for just doing the will of God. It also means to do the works of God. So what he's saying here is, God has made it possible for us because he's saying, first, I'm second Corinthians 1, 21 there, he who has anointed us is who? Is God. By implication, we have what it takes to do his will and also to do his works. Praise the Lord. Are you following? Amen? Okay. Let's get to the next scene in Second Corinthians. I mean, Second. I mean, uh, Revelation twelve, verse ten. It says, "For the accuser of our brethren is cast down." Now we already know what it means to be cast down, don't we? It's to be taken away from the place of authority. Hallelujah. We already have established the fact that. Lucifer was cast down. You know that was taken away from place of power. It was ruling the nations. Destroying nations, conquering nations. It was brought down. We read of how Capernaum was cast down from heaven. Lamentation 3, we read about how Zion was cast down, which speaks of Israel. So, to, be, to cast down or to be cast down Simply means you are brought out of the place of authority and dominion. Is that alright? So here this, this song is saying, don't you forget, this is a song of victory. People are rejoicing because of what has happened. Isn't it? Hallelujah. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. The phrase, our brethren, there is important. It shows by whom this song is being celebrated. Or who is celebrating this song. Because, you see, if I'm saying my brethren, it means I already got victory. And now my brethren have gotten victory. So I'm the one singing in the true sense of it. There's a corporate thing. But I'm rejoicing because of what has happened to you. Your liberty has been guaranteed. Now I'm happy that finally you are free. Come on, are you there with me? Good. I want you to understand this. So, who are the people that are singing this song in the true sense? They are the redeemed of the Lord. So what the Bible says, read the redeemed of the Lord, say so. These are men that have been redeemed and rejoicing that even their brethren are also coming to the place of freedom that they already got. Hallelujah. So we talk about the song of the redeemed from the power of the enemy. From the collective body of both the celestial and the terrestrial realm, and it shows the interest which they who have passed the flood or the trouble have in their trials, the sorrows, and the triumph of those who are still to overcome the power of the enemy, though it has been accomplished through Christ on the cross. What am I trying to say? The body of Christ is both celestial and terrestrial. You know that? Bible tells us that in Hebrew 12, 22-23, you've come unto my Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Is that okay? With judge himself, and then with the spirit of just men made perfect. Remember that? So we have and in Hebrew 12 also telling us, verse 1 and 2, about the great cloud of witnesses. Aaron, Abraham, all of those stuff. I want to name it. So the point is, 
we have the saints who are passing on to the other side. They can see us, but we don't see them. The Bible refers to them as celestial beings. We are terrestrial beings. So it's a corporate body. Are you getting that? Praise the living God. But you see, what affects you in a way affects them. Okay, let me show you a scripture that will make you see what I'm saying. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Show Hebrews 13 verse number 1. Let me see. Wait a minute. Okay, let me show you something now so they can connect it. Hebrews 12, last verse, then Hebrews 13 verse 1. Go to Hebrews 12 verse 1. I mean the last verse. Hebrews 12, the last verse. What do you find it? For God is what? A consuming fire. Remember, everything talks about, and, and, and you must understand when it's our God is consuming fire, it's not consuming people, it's consuming religious thoughts. Is that okay? If you go back to, uh, okay, maybe for you to understand it, take it to message translation, Critical verse 28, 29, message translation of Hebrew 12. Let me show you something there. Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot, as a message translation. Praise the Lord. Do you see what we God's an unshakable kingdom? And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only that, Okay, go to verse 27. Let me see. I think there is something very special there I want to pick. The phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough cleanse, house cleansing. Huh? Look at that. Getting rid of all what? The historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essential stand clear and uncluttered. Historical and religious junk. Judaism and all of those things. Levitical priesthood sacrifices. Getting rid of those stones. Okay, go to verse 28. Do you see what we got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. You know that God is not, as if God is not watching over you. God is not caring about you. God is just allowing all kind of things to mess you up. No, it's not a bystander. Look at the next thing. It says, He's actively cleaning house, touching all that needs to do what? To burn. And he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is what? Can you get the point? So what's the point of the consumption? He consuming the thing that stands against you, receiving the fullness of God's kingdom. Come on, are you getting that? So when we say our God is a consuming fire, we're not talking about consuming people or consuming demons. He's coming religious junk in the mind of people. So that you can stand clear. So that nothing stands between you and the revelation of the anointing that God has released. Now it's come the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Anything that will stand against that is a religious junk, historical fact that God himself is consuming. In the first place, how do you think God is consuming this? By the revelation of the word of truth. Okay. Now go to Hebrews 12. I mean 13. Now let me show you. What I needed to show you there. Stay on good terms with each other. Held together by love. Go back to verse. Read it from the King James. Let me show you. Something you need to understand. You gotta be fast with me, please. Let brotherly love continue. Oh, wait a minute. Go to verse 2. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, Hebrew 12 is dealing down from Hebrew 11 with the heroes of faith. Come on, is anybody following that? And when it gets down to Hebrews 13, it says, let brotherly love continue. 
Verse 2 is dealing with spiritual beings. So what it means is, may your love extend to even those who are passing on to the other side. You could love Abraham. You could love Sarah. Let brotherly love continue in this household of faith with those who are the terrestrial and the terrestrial realm. Is that making sense to you? Because you see, if you think he's just talking about you, this example that he gave you in verse 2 is dealing with Abraham entertaining angels that came to them when Sodom was to be destroyed. Come on. Did you get the point? Good. The three men that came and to reveal to Abraham that Sodom was going to be destroyed. But what happened? Abraham and Sarah did what? Entertained them. So what happened? They entertained spiritual beings, but they were fellows in the household of faith. So when he said, let brotherly love continue, it's now you're dealing with those living in the same church. He's dealing with, you can love their brother and love even those who are passed on onto the other side. Can I hear an amen? Is that making sense now? So when he said, now is come, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and the strength of his power, and the anointed one, and then the next thing, for the accuser of our brethren, if I may ask you, what do you think he's singing this song? Those in the celestial realm, they're already free people, their oppression is taking over, they're living a free life in the spirit dimension, they see you being oppressed, but now Christ is come, your liberty has been guaranteed. Are you following that? Praise the Lord. <laughs> so right from when the cross, Jesus went to the cross, demolished powers and dominions, the kingdom came, the entire body of Christ begins to rejoice, especially those who are passed on onto the other side of glory. And now they are happy. But remember, Hebrew 12, he said, we compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What is that supposed to mean? It means they are watching you. They're looking at you. Is that okay? So even right from before the time of the cross, it's like saying they were in pains because they know what we're passing through. But as soon as the cross came through, and then, of course, your liberty is guaranteed as it were, they also begin to rejoice. There is joy that came into their life. Now they sing the same song. Now. The kingdom of our God is come. Is that okay? Our brethren have been set free who used to accuse them. I mean, the devil used to accuse them. Now he's been thrown down. Hallelujah. Okay? Uh, I don't know how far I can go with this. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, basically here we're talking about the overcomers. Is that all right? Now, some of us in the natural, Teresha now, not Celestia, Teresha now, we can sing the same song. When I see people come to truth, I rejoice in my heart. That of course, the accuser of a brethren will be cast out. Is that alright? Come on, are you with me? You see, let, let me, some of you find it difficult to understand this. It's one body. The church is one body. Remember that? You see, look at what happened in the book of Acts chapter 9 when, I'm, I'm, I mean, on the road to Damascus. You know what happened on the road to Damascus with Paul? And he was persecuting the church. And, and, and you remember what Jesus said when he asked the question. Paul was asking, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecuted. Is that okay? Now, but we know that Paul never slapped Jesus. But it was destroying his body. So he is one with his body. Come on. Are you there with me? It's just like 2 Corinthians one twenty one. He who has anointed us is God. We are in Christ. We are in one body. Now, you are not the only one in the one body. There are those who are passed on to the other side believing they are also in the same body. Come on now. You understand that? So it's one body that's made up of different realms. Celestia and Teresia. So you can minister to them and they can minister to you. By the way, you need to understand. It's not all the time you see your late brother that have 
kind of gone on into glory, appeared to you, that is a demon. Maybe you need to understand sometimes that you are not always seeing demons because somebody who died is appearing to you. No, it's not a demon. We are in the same fellowship. We are in the same household. They are only on the other side. We are on this side of the same house. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So here we see, I can also sing this song today, especially looking at you listening to me. That you can listen to what I'm saying gives me joy because the accuser of the brethren in your spirit is being cast down. Truth is breaking forth. Light is breaking forth. Are you still there with me? You can, you can no longer, by the special the grace of God, live in deception to the things that we're talking about anymore. You can't. You can't for any reason be deluded to believe contrary to the truth that is coming to you. You can't. Even if you try, you may not be able. Because something will be there speaking to you, you are in error. Are you still there? Praise the Lord. So we're talking about the overcomers, still related with those who are here to get the victory over the deceptive power of the devil religiously and otherwise. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. We're still talking about all that. Because one of the things that was accusing you is also the law, which is religion. You know what Jesus said? said I, I won't bother you. Say, the law of Moses that you are reading will accuse you before God. The law is an accuser. It's not just one spirit called the devil alone. The law itself is an accuser. You see, Paul says, without the law, I don't know what is covetousness. In other words, Remove the law, sin is gone. <laughs> Let me use the remaining minutes to do what I'm supposed to do. Okay, the next one is day and night. Hallelujah. Talks about accusing the brethren day and night. You find that? Revelation 12, verse 10. The accuser of the brethren is kind and accuser of the brethren day and Night. Oh, it's important we note this. In other words, where is the accusation taking place? What realm is it taking place in? The Bible defines for us. It's in the realm of what you call day and night. So, again, understand. For those who think that this is something that happened prehistorically, I think they're in a big error. Because this is what is happening when day and night was in existence. Right? By that I mean to say, it's something that happens every day. Okay, we try to look at something. Uh, can we look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 22? Genesis 8, verse 22. Why the extra minute? Sea time and harvest and cold, and winter and summer, I mean summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Why the extra minute? Means day and night belongs to the extreme. Does it make sense? So then, this is not accusation that is taking place somewhere up somewhere in the spirit dimension. Because there is no day and night in the heavenly sphere, if I may use the word. Day and night is a factor that belongs to the atrium. Therefore, where do you think the acquisition is taking place? In the atrium. Can you get that? Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that the devil was using to accuse you, is what I was saying before, is the law. Let me explain something here. Um, how do I get this across to you now? 
But let's look at the book of Jude. Uh, I think we can, we can. Okay, let me take it piece by piece. Uh, let's look at Jude, verse 9. The book of Jude, verse 9. Jude verse 9. Are you there? Praise the Lord. The Bible says, yet Michael. How many of you remember Michael? And he says, the archangel. Huh? And he said, Michael, that was also wrestling with the Satan, the dragon, in Revelation 12. You remember that? When you use the word ark, what does it mean? Chief. If you know the word angel means messenger, all you need to put together is, is the chief messenger. And how do you find the chief messenger? You go back to Malachi chapter 4. It talks about the messenger of the covenant whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Is that okay? Anyway, I'm trying to make you understand that Michael here, or Ike Michael here, you're reading, speaks of no other person but Jesus Christ. Is that all right? Okay, look at it. And he said, yet my uncle, when contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a really accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, this is very interesting. The first place, time is not here for us to explain all of that. Let me read another scripture before I say what I have to say. Look at Romans 5, verse 14. It talks about the body of Moses. I want you to pick it. It's very important. It's wrestling with the body of Moses. Are you there in Romans 5, verse 14? What is it saying? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to... That means death you stopped by Moses. Is that okay? And he said, even over them that have not seen after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come? But know that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Follow me. Why is it so? Why was death reigning from Adam to Moses? When did death began to reign? Remember, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, meaning it ought to stop by Moses. Come on, are you following what I'm saying here? So the question is, what was the strength of death? Because when you say reigning means he had authority, he had dominion, he had power. To reign means to rule. He ruled from Adam to Moses. Why and how? Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Very quickly, let's look at verse 56. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 15, 56. This thing of death is what? Is sin. Hallelujah. 56. This thing of death is sin. And the strength of sin is what? Come on, it's what? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. It means for death to reign, there must be law. Are you getting that? He said the strength of sin is what? Is the law. And the sting, in other words, the outcome of sin is death. Now, sin have no strength without the law. So it says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. How? In Eden, it was, thou shalt not eat of this tree. That was the law. Are you getting that? The day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. That was the law. Man ate, so man died. Now Moses came and brought all of his laws and said, if you do this, 
you will live. If you do this, you will die. Man begin to die because they keep on failing on what the Lord said they should not do. So death reigned from Adam to Moses. After that, grace came into being. Can I hear an amen, somebody? So if grace is ruling, then death is supposed to stop. So now, we go back to Jude, and you see what we're looking at. Jude says, now let me read a scripture before we look at that Jude again. Romans 8, 1 to 3. Very important. Romans 8, 1 to 3. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from what? The law of sin and death. You sin and die. You sin and die. That was the law. But the Lord of life in Christ have made me free from it. Look at verse 8. Verse 3. For what the Lord could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his only son the likeness of sinful flesh for sin condemned sin where? In the flesh. How did he condemn sin in the flesh? He went to the cross and destroyed it. Now, another law was released with the law of the spirit of life in who? In Christ. So, we're no longer walking by the law of sin and death. Are you listening? So, when you go to Jude, Jude 9, and we said the archangel was wrestling with the body of Moses. What is the body of Moses? We do know in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord made it very clear that God kind of killed Moses. He told him, look at the land, but you're not going to enter the promised land. Is that Okay. And the Bible made us to understand Moses died and God buried him by himself. There was nowhere the scripture indicated that Moses' body was buried somewhere. So the devil went there and was looking for the physical body of Moses. It was not the corpse of Moses that the devil was looking for or was wrestling with. Listen and listen closely. What the Bible is saying is when the Bible says the archangel and the devil were wrestling for the body of Moses, what it simply means is the devil was saying, let the Lord not be put away so that there will be continuous sin and death. Because the Lord represents the body of Moses. When you say Moses, you mean law. When you say Christ, you mean grace. So when you say the body of Moses should not be taken away. The devil was praying and saying, I don't want this grace to be released so that the law will no longer function. Because the sting of death is what? The law. So when Jesus went to the cross and destroyed principalities and powers, the Bible made us to understand he made a show of them, triumphing over them. I'll find time to explain this. He didn't just go there to destroy it. One thing you need to understand, Acts chapter 7, Galatians 3, the Bible tells us precisely that he took angels to give the laws to Moses. So when Jesus went to the cross to destroy principalities and powers, what he really did was take authority from angels not to allow Moses to minister the law anymore. I grace my reign. Hallelujah. So now, when we read of the accused of the brethren, day and night, what we are saying, the devil uses the law to accuse you so that you don't have the boldness to approach the throne of grace to receive mercy in times of need. So the devil tells you, look, you've just seen you can pray. You just lie. You can pray. Come on. Are you, are you following what I'm talking about? There is an accusation in your conscience all the time. But you see, perfection is not about what you do. Perfection is about what he has done and what you believe into. 
Do you understand this? But the devil doesn't want you to see that. So you are being accused day and night. You do not have the liberty to talk to God as your father. Because there is something I keep telling you, how can you? You don't have the right to do that. The devil keeps telling you that. In fact, when men preach to you that you don't have access to God by yourself, or that you must do one thing every day to be able to approach God, they're only trying to impose laws into your life that you don't have access to speak to your father with God. It's an accusation of the devil. So, of course, we find that we now see churches that are using the law, religious system, to accuse the brethren day and night. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? You have to do some study by yourself on this. But it's very important. Hallelujah. Go to, go to Colossians. I mean, Ephesians 3. Let me show you something about the issue of principalities so that you can understand what Jesus did. Hallelujah. And then we're going to... Are you there? Okay. 10, 10. I say Ephesians 3, 10. You've got to be fast with me. Uh, look at that. So the intent. Okay, go to verse 9. Let's say verse 9 down to 10. Quickly. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Verse 10. To the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, the church will make certain things known to principalities and powers. Now you know something? The common thinking about the church is anytime you read about principalities and powers, they mean demons. That's very erroneous. Is that okay? Now, just this verse, go to message. And then you read it. I'm going to take time again to teach you on that so that I understand what principles of power really stands for. Not studying about demons. Look at that. True Christ, true Christians like yourself, gathered in churches, this extraordinary power plan of God is becoming known and talked about among which people? Even the angels. So what you read, principalities and power in King James equals what? Angels. The mystery of redemption is not made known to angels. They are amazed to see that man. Oh, come on. Somebody need to help me here. Listen. The Bible says, who, 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 what is man that you are mindful of him? For you made him a little bit lower than what? Than the angels. Is that okay? Now, you see, angels... If you take time to study, you find that if you look at the altar in the most holy place, in most relevant pictures, you're going to see angels all on the altars. The belief was angels got the laws and gave them to Moses. So in the true sense, angels were administering the laws. Is that all right? And so, angels were highly respected and regarded because they were administering the law. You can find in Galatians 3 and Acts chapter 7. You can read that. You'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But the point now is this. Jesus came and do, or how am I going to put it? He removed the power from the angels. Anytime he took away the law, it means the angels lose their power as well. Now, I have to explain this this way. Do you know the story about the pool of Bethesda. You know that? How there was an important man and Jesus had to go there. I mean, people go there and Jesus went there and met one man and he said, do you want to be healed? He said, sure I do, but I have no man to cast me into the waters. When the angels, I mean, if you, I mean, if you remember that, when they stay up the water, no one to cast me in. And Jesus simply said, take up your bed and walk. What do you think happened? He only came there to demonstrate that right from this hour, angels no longer have authority. All authority of healing now belongs to me. 
He disarmed angels at the pool of Bethesda. That's what you're seeing here. So when he said he destroyed principalities and power and make a public show of them, he's saying everyone that is administering the law from this point onward, you no longer have authority. I have the authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not talking about demons. And that's what the church teaches. No. The manifold wisdom of God being revealed to principalities and powers is the mystery of the redemption of humanity, which angels don't know. Peter said the same thing. Say the salvation we are talking about, even the angels were peeping to know. Do you understand that? It was not revealed to them that man would receive redemption and come to the place of dominion again on the face of the earth. Angel didn't know that. So your salvation is a mystery to principalities and powers. So if you like, you can include the devil there. That the devil didn't even know you are going to be redeemed. <laughs> and that could be true because in Revelation 13, he said it precisely that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, the devil didn't know the sacrifice for redemption have already been made before man fell. Come on. Are you still there with me? All right. So what are we saying here? Revelation 12 have no relationship with the fall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. Two different stories entirely and pictures. Is that okay? While Lucifer speaks of the king of Babylon in Revelation 14, I mean Isaiah 14, Revelation 12 is dealing with the triumph of the work of Christ over paganism, in the Roman Empire, and the victory of the cross over the evil works of rebellion in our hearts. Summary. Do you understand that? Lucifer in Revelation 14 is the king of Babylon. Revelation 12 is dealing with the victory of the cross of Jesus over paganism in terms of the Roman Empire and the rebellious spirit in the heart of man. No connection on a bit. We are just here to sing the song of liberation that Jesus procured for us through the cross of Calvary. We rejoice that the victory has been guaranteed. We are there in Christ. With God is power, with God is reign, with God is kingdom, with God is strength because we belong to Him. You have all the liberty. To manifest the strength, the power, and the glory of Christ. Nothing hindering you. Only your mind. If only you can renew your mind to know who you are. You can do what God says you will do. Victory has been guaranteed. God bless you.